again, welcome to another episode of PFL Pod for Life, your Tennessee football podcast. I'm your host, David Ubbin. My co-host, Joe Rexrode, Nashville columnist and senior writer, is joining me. Uh, Joe, we got to start out heavy. I need a philosophical uh, second opinion, I suppose, uh, an ethical query. So, uh, NCAA football, the video game, has uh, has spiked in popularity. Uh, we were talking before this. You are, are not an NCAA football uh, video game guy. I have played the game. I've owned every copy from 2002 until the last copy in 2014 before uh, the uh, famous lawsuit ended the... Video game now with uh, name, image, likeness becoming part of it. That's becoming a, a larger conversation. And then with sports being dead, we're seeing this come up. I, I've gotten the Jones to play. I do not own a, a Xbox 360. Uh, however, I kept the games for reasons I don't fully understand because I sold the 360 just to some guy like a long time ago. Now, Joe, how much do you think a copy of NCAA Football 2014 is going for on eBay right now? So an unopened copy, like a like a mint condition. No, just a function, a functional copy, something that will allow you to play uh, on Amazon or or eBay. I mean, could it be for more than a hundred bucks? It could be. It's about two hundred dollars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so here's my question to you: Do I spend sixty bucks and I go buy a Xbox 360 and and go back down that trail, or do I strike while the iron is hot and sell all these on on eBay? If you're me, Joe, what do you what do you do in this situation? I tweeted about this on uh, Wednesday, and as soon as I did, I had a bunch of replies and literally like five DMs of Tennessee fans like, hey, I'll buy that from you. Please, please let me <laughs> buy that from you because they're very they're very hard to find right now. Uh, boy, that's t- see, the hard for- part for me on answering that is, I mean, my instinct would be, yeah, go ahead and sell it, make a few bucks. But I just, I don't know the sentimental and enjoyment value <laughs> that you get. So, I mean, if, if that's high and considering that, you know, there's probably some, Time ahead of sitting around, uh, I might I might stick with that stuff and, and go get the 360. Perhaps I'm a big online game guy. I don't I, the playing the computer. They get a little too predictable. I I don't find it that entertaining. Um, we'll see. I'm gonna have to ponder this for a while. Uh, if anyone has any input, please let me know. But I don't think I'll be selling it to a random Twitter follower. I would feel bad honestly, rather than a nameless, faceless person on Amazon or YouTube. Maybe that's wrong, but uh, I gotta I've got to make that decision. Uh, so Joe, the business of why we are here, talking about the state of the program. And, of course, the program that I'm referencing, Tennessee football. Uh, we have at The Athletic, uh, if you guys are not aware, we do a pretty comprehensive review um, and a look-ahead uh, examination, a cross-section, if you will. All those things apply. Of the vast majority of FBS programs, we have a huge staff, and we leverage that to do these. So Tennessee was pretty early on. I think we've only started this about a week and a half ago, and Tennessee is one of the first schools up. Um, so we wrote about that this week and, and I looked at that. There's a lot in there. Uh, but Joe, when you look at the state of the program at Tennessee, how, how would you describe the state of Tennessee's program at the moment? I would describe it as a, a program with all of the advantages and potential to be great starting to 
move in a good direction, in a positive direction. Uh, with, with, you know, I think the necessary caution that there's still a lot of things we need to see to embrace the idea that Jeremy Pruitt is bringing Tennessee back. But I would say that right now it's a, we know what the program is in terms of the infrastructure and the resources. And, you know, it's, it's in a very, it's on a very short list of, of programs that has all the advantages that Tennessee has. And I think right now it's a program that appears to be moving in the right direction. It's still, and you pointed this out in the piece, there's still, you know, some, some ground to traverse and there's still some very tough competitors to overcome to get where Tennessee wants to be. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, if you're, I think I've read about this in a mailbag previously, but if you are ranking the leaps for, for teams to make, I think one to five is really, really difficult. I think 10 to 12 is absolutely the hardest. Um, I think five to eight is maybe the easiest uh, they did that in, in essentially, you know, I guess you could say two years, four to eight. Um, but going from not very good to pretty good is is not very difficult. Um, we see it all the time. So my, I think my question, of course, the program is on a rise, um, is is the trajectory is straight up. But I think the question that the program's going to have moving forward is, you know, when do they hit a ceiling? Is that ceiling uh you know multiple national championships is that ceiling 10 wins is that ceiling you know uh sitting on nine wins and they just can't ever get get by alabama or or squeeze by georgia and get to atlanta we don't know the answer to that question you know obviously recruiting plays a factor into that and and we talked about that on our last podcast and and that is going very well for tennessee um but at some point you got to beat these teams on the field and, and you look at you know, you look at Georgia and how well Georgia's recruited and, and uh, how strong that program looks, and they still cannot, despite outplaying them twice on huge stages, they still can't get by uh, Alabama. It's been a problem for Georgia. Uh, and so, you know, Tennessee, they're going to have to play in some of those big games as well, and can you get by them? Um, that's sort of, you know, Tennessee sees itself in that chair and, and wanting to compete for those kinds of titles. And so that's kind of the big picture question is, is uh, you know, you've, got, you've made that jump from five to eight. I think Tennessee is very well equipped and will not have many issues getting making that jump from eight wins to, to nine to ten wins. But that's not going to be enough for Tennessee fans, um, naturally. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think the expectations at Tennessee are, are large. They want to win SEC titles. They want to be in the playoff. And to do that, you've got to recruit at a high level over the course of uh, a four-year period. They've stacked a one-top-10 class. I think pretty obviously we'll have a second-top-10 class that might be um, nudging into the top five. That's a that's a great start. you got to keep doing that. Um, and so that's the big question, I think. And that's a question that won't be answered until 2022 or 2023. But the thing that I keep coming away with right now is, is Jeremy Pruitt is basically right on schedule for this rebuild. You know, they they were competent. And they had a couple nice moments, even though they kind of ran out of gas with a, a limited roster in 2018. 2019, obvious progress, a better team. You have a rough start. You lose some games that you probably win seven or eight times out of ten. Uh, they lose those games, um, uh, but you still manage an eight-win season. You still win six games in a row to close the year. Uh, and then 2020, I mean, this is going to obviously be the best roster yet. I don't know that their record 
is is looking like one that will be markedly different than it was a year ago. But the roster, I think, will be much, much better. Uh, for you, what do you feel like is going to be the biggest hurdle for Tennessee to make that jump, um, you know, from whenever they, they get from that 8 to 10 zone? Where do you feel like the, the difficulty in doing that is going to be? Well, I mean, look, I think, first of all, you have to – be great at the quarterback position. So you've got to identify and develop that guy. And so, I mean, we, we know Jared Garantano is going to be the starter, you know, whenever this season happens, when, when the season starts, uh, I don't think there was ever any question about that. If anyone had any question about that, when spring football disappeared, you should have removed any question about that. Um, but, but again, I mean, he was going to be the starter maybe he can have a fantastic senior season and be the kind of quarterback Tennessee needs to be in that neighborhood. But right now I would say they would need to be better than him at that position down the line to get there. And as you said, recruiting, you got to stack those classes. You got to keep, you know, just building up to have the talent level to, to be able to hang with those teams on the field. I mean, I think the offensive line for Tennessee this year will look like that. Well, the defensive line. I mean, Emmett Gooden coming back is a great thing, but I mean, you've got to be deep and really good in the trenches. So it's a lot of it is just that. It's just building up the talent, and and uh, I do think coaching continuity is something that Pruitt needs to locate moving forward. I think that's uh, the mark of a good program, and I understand that Alabama has had all kinds of turnover. Nick Saban and been fine, but that's also. It's sort of like you go to Alabama and then a year there, it's like everybody wants you. You know, it's a different kind of it's a different kind of uh, lack of continuity there. Um, but I think Pruitt needs that. There's a lot of factors. I don't have one thing, obviously, but you just have to. This year, to me, one of the big things, David, is establish and cement the fact that you are now done losing to the Vanderbilts, Missouris, Kentuckys, South Carolinas. You know, get that done, kind of reestablish that this is now where you are going to be every year and then it's easier to start taking aim at the the guys ahead of you yeah that's a great point i I think uh maintaining your dominance like tennessee had for so long over the south carolinas the kentuckys the vanderbilts which has not been the case um in in recent years i I think they have a good shot i think they'll probably you know i've said all along i think they lose one game that that people don't expect i think they win one game that people don't expect this year and end up landing at that that eight and four mark and and you know go to a bowl game and we'll see kind of where that goes but when you, uh, you know, I answered this question in, in my mailbag uh, that ran uh, this morning. What, when you look at, at the roster analysis, uh, I wanted to get your take on this. Where do you, I won't make you answer the projection, but where do you see as the um, uh, the best position or the best position group on this team and the most troubling troubling position group on this team right now? Yeah, I mean, I think I would agree with you. I guess I could make the case. Yeah, you know, I I think it's I think anybody would say receiver as far as the worst or most troublesome or, or certainly least proven. I mean, that position there's just a lot uh, to be found out and a lot of need there for people to step up. You had running back as the best, and that's certainly a valid uh, possibility. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. I, I might go offensive line though, and and again, you're that is a bit of a leap 
buying that a couple of sophomores who showed a lot of promise but still weren't perfect as freshmen will take big steps and that everything's going to work out with Mays and all that stuff. But I think that just in terms of the pure talent there, I think that looks like the the potentially most special group on the team. And, and I think when you have that, uh, as a as a football team, and you know you can go into a year with a lot of experience, talent, physicality. You got some depth there. That's that's just a great benefit for everyone. You know they should be able to impose themselves on teams this year. Like you said, they have great running backs, and that should all make things easier for Garantano and and these receivers who need to develop. Uh, but that, but I think it's probably one of those two spots. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted to dig into this as well. We had a lot of mailbag response this uh, this week. Um, the people get hungry when they haven't had a mailbag for a while. Um, but we had a ton of questions that didn't make the cut. Uh, we dug into uh, a lot. If you guys are not subscribers, you should check that out uh, at theathletic.com, our Tennessee football page. Uh, but I wanted to throw an interesting question out there that I, I did not hit on. Uh, how many quarterbacks start a game in 2020? Brian M. wanted to know. I'll let you kick us off with this one, Joe. Ooh, that's a good question. The hypothetical quarterback questions, you can never have enough of those. Uh, you know, now let's say, I will, I'll, I'll say, I'll preface this question. I'll preface this question. Everyone's healthy. There's no injuries. Yes. Okay. That's a good, that's a good point to make because obviously you could, yeah, that, that could certainly change things. I will, I will go with two. I just, I think at some point, uh, you know, and this is just based on the up and down nature of his season last year that Jaron Garantano may be. You know, replace. Now, I also think we could easily see a situation where he returns. I mean, I'm just, but if, you know, who knows? I don't know. There's all kinds of different ways it could go. But if I had to, if I had to bet on a number and just purely just bet on the number, I think I would go with two. I'm going to stick with one. I think you're right. I think he gets benched at some point this year. I think he'll have a much shorter leash, but I think he keeps the starting job again provided health is all there i think he is he was the best quarterback in practice by a long ways last year i know tennessee fans want to see uh the young guys uh maurer was kind of all over the place in 2019 i think he'll be improved but when you have so little practice um like they're going to have right now um it's going to be hard for a guy like harrison bailey to make a, a leap that's harrison bailey current fourth string quarterback at tennessee uh, it's going to be tough for him to, to get uh, a lot of um, uh, mileage, I guess, in, in reps, especially if you start preparing for games. You know, Then you really have to shore up who's getting reps and those kind of things. And Jerry Pro likes to say everyone gets equal reps. All right. <laughs> they don't. <but> that's fine. <laughs> yeah, sure, uh, sure. That's fine. Yeah, uh, reps against ones are different than reps against the scout team, but, you know, whatever. They do multiple fields. We don't need to break down Tennessee's uh, – practice schedule he is he is both telling the truth and also uh misleading at the same time uh so anyway i'm sticking with one i think garantano i think he probably throws a pick and has a rough start and they they go somewhere else for uh, a little bit but i think he he does enough in practice to win his job back i mean i think last year was so disastrous that they had no choice and it was very confusing um, because the coaches weren't sure what was happening, the you know Jarrett wasn't quite sure what was happening. He 
he pointed to maybe he was pressing a little bit and 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 not fully understanding. I think he obviously has some limitations, um, but uh, I'm sticking with Juan. I, I think he he hangs on to that gig this year, and and uh, you know Jerry Pruitt every single week they they talk about this over and over. The best guys in practice play. You hear that from players. You hear that all the time, and you know. Last year, I think their hands were forced a little bit, um, but I think he's the best guy in practice. I think he hangs on to it. So if you maybe bet over-under 1.5, barring injury, I'm taking the under there. Who's who's your second guy? Who do you think is the second guy that comes off the bench? I I was only agreeing to answer the number part of it now. So, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, would, I would go with Maurer. Uh, and, I, you know, I understand that there's a – Speaking of hunger from fans, a hunger for the hot shot new recruit coming in to to be the guy who immediately ascends to you know number two on the depth chart. But I'm going to go with Brian Maurer as the as the number two um, with and I and I'm very interested to see what happens with with Harrison Bailey in terms of is, is it worth you know I mean like you said look if things go well then they won't need to worry about it anyway but like. Is it is Harrison Bailey someone you want a red shirt or does do you think it matters? Is he so talented that that won't come into play later in his career? You know, I, I don't know, but um, I, I would pick Maurer. Interesting. Well, Kyle K wants to know uh, what incoming player do you expect to have the biggest impact in their first year? So, so we're talking about what. In incoming freshman this year, or or can it be an incoming? Let's rule out because let's rule out Vilas Jones and Cade Mays. We'll rule those guys out. Freshman, okay. Or well, guys. okay, because because I was gonna say because obviously Brandon Johnson is a guy also who, um, you know could could be that guy. But I will go. I'll go ahead and go with probably an obvious answer. But you know. Omari Thomas is a guy who I think at a position of need, a very highly rated and highly thought of player, a guy you don't see a ton of true freshmen in the trenches come in and make that big of a difference, but it seems like there's definitely an opportunity for him to do so, so I'll go with him. Amari Thomas is a good is a good pick. Um, I think the defensive line is a little crowded. I think it may be he's going to play, but I think I don't know how hard, how easy it'll be him for him to make an impact. I'm going to go with position of need. I'm going to point to two names. I'm going to say one Bryson Eason, 270 pounds at middle linebacker. There is such a void at that second middle linebacker spot opposite Henry Toto that I'm going to point to Bryson Eason as that guy. And my second pick in a loaded but wide open group of edge rushers, I'm going to say Tyler Barron. Uh, from from Knoxville Catholic, uh, you see him, man, like NFL body as a 18 year old kid. It is wild. Like they don't really six five two sixty. I mean that you don't see a lot of kids like that uh, very often. And and guys that are are driven and 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 are you know have their head on straight. I think um, you know you look at Henry Toto obviously last year was would have been a good pick for if we were asking this question. Um, I don't know that I would have picked him because it was a crowded position group as well. But one of the things he did to separate himself was he was just bugging Daniel Batuli constantly. You know you heard in preseason camp, you know Batuli, 
Uh, Henry's texting me at 11.30, questions. He's hungry. He wants to know this. He wants to know that. You heard that all the time last year. And I think Barron could have a similar um, approach. I think he's just really, really um, dialed in, and, and you talk to people around him. It's um, uh, He's a guy that I think can really make an impact and is physically ready to play. I think more than anything as a freshman – you know your your body has to be there. You don't you you can't be throwing guys in there that still need to add thirty pounds or still um, are really skinny. I think you you know any of those receivers you can take your pick, but I don't know that I believe in one of them more than the other. I think the Jalen Hyatt speed is uh, interesting, um, but I'm gonna go Bryson Eason uh, and Tyler Barron um, at those two spots. Uh, I think those are well, both, the, and uh, guys. I, I'm excited to see. Yeah, and you know the, you're talking three guys there in the front seven. And it would be great for Tennessee for all of them to have some kind of impact. I think you know. I mean, it would certainly. There, there's a there's a need, and, and you're right. There there are a lot of guys um, coming back on that defensive line. <clears throat> I guess you know we'll see if if Amari Thomas is the type of talent who can you know move past some veterans. But to your point, I mean that that middle linebacker situation is really interesting and 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 potentially troublesome if no if no one steps up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Um, well, I also was asked, uh, Joe, for a a hot breakfast take. Um, uh oh. I I I took aim at country ham. Do you do you have any uh, any hot takes in the on the breakfast food front? Well, here's the thing. So I read. Your scathing takedown of country ham, uh, and I, I very Served much enjoyed your, your. Yeah, I'm, well, but I honestly, I, I'll be honest, I I don't, I'm not sure I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, so okay. that's maybe a hot, maybe that's a hot take in its own. Like, I like Virginia ham, you know, that's something that that I've had that would be a distinctive type of ham. Um, but I don't know that I really know exactly what country ham is. So please educate so, me on that okay. first. So I have I had not had country ham. I'm going to, in the interest of my personal life, I am going to omit the times that I have eaten country ham. Um, <laughs> and, and I will just tell you, imagine if you took a perfectly fine uh, ham and then you made it dry and tough and then you added about a teaspoon of salt per bite. And that would be country ham, essentially. <laughs> well, yeah, you 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 referred to it as jerky, and no, that doesn't sound good at all. So, I mean, I, I guess I'm just glad I haven't had to deal with that because I've really never had ham that I didn't like. So, I, you know, right now I have like a hundred percent satisfaction rating. You know, different degrees, but pretty much a hundred percent with ham. You know, I always like ham. Yes. It, now, if I had a breakfast hot take, ah, uh, boy, I don't know. I pretty much love everything that has to do with breakfast. Um, I would say that I like uh, I like waffles and French toast way more than pancakes. So some people may disagree with that. I don't know if that's a hot take. That might be a lukewarm take. But uh, pancakes I'm with are you on that, the, yeah. okay. They're, they're the clear number three to me in terms of the, you know. Uh, breakfast uh soak up your stomach food uh and also i love grits and so i but you know a lot of people are with me on that so yeah I i've every type of grit i've had i've also enjoyed i know some people disagree with that yeah the uh uh 
so the country, I think you're, I think you're revealing your northerner uh, side in this because it's a very distinctly bit, southern yeah. thing. It's a distinctly southern because I, I think I have tweeted about country ham maybe once or twice before, and it was, it was, it was met with some backlash. The people that grow up around it are, are big time uh, country ham devotees. But for those of you who do not know, it is very different from like the honey ham or you know the lunch meat ham or the ham you would get at Easter. It's uh, it's a very different thing. I think Bojangles has country ham biscuits. I have never had their version of country ham. And when I've when I've busted this takeout, I've been told, well, maybe you just didn't have the right good country ham. Again, as I pointed out in the mail bay, ham did not need to be improved upon. It's fine. Leave it <laughs> right. alone. All ham is good except country ham. Well, if yeah, it, well, I, I, now I want to try it to see how bad it is. Uh, but if. if <laughs> Since we're on food hot takes in the north south thing, I, I will. If I haven't said this before on here, I, I, the, I, I love all southern food. I, I do have two hot takes. One is I cannot stand sweet tea, I only want unsweetened tea. And the other is I do not like banana pudding. Uh, I just can't do the banana pudding. Other than that, I can't think of a thing in the southern food universe that I wouldn't jump to eating. But those two things I will never be on board with. Off the record, I'm with you on both of those. Uh, this is a sticky point <laughs> with my wife, who's a major sweet tea person. I, I don't get it. It's too much. And then banana pudding, I just have no desire in artificial banana-flavored anything. I'm out on all of it. Uh, before we go, Joe, did you have any uh, – I'm intrigued by this. Uh, you, you know, A lot of guys have these private coaches. Um, I wrote this week about um, – Tennessee has a couple defensive backs, Bryce Thompson, Trevon Flowers, um, and then, of course, new commit Kamar Wilcoxon, who are working with uh, Oliver Davis, who has a pretty interesting background. He's an interesting guy. But then I've, you know, I've been in touch with some other guys before I've written about them. Uh, Tony Rossiopi uh, is Jared Garantano's private coach. Harrison Bailey works with, um, I believe it's Tony Ballard. Um, and those guys have been working together, actually, um, this week, throwing in Georgia. And um, those guys have worked together uh, as well, and and they're throwing actually with um, I forget the name of the tight end that they Tennessee is also targeting uh, in recruiting, but they have also been working out with with him throwing uh, his way, and that is pretty interesting. What do you make of uh, guys getting some work in uh, with a uh, a private coach while this shutdown is is happening, guys that aren't uh, under the, the limits of what the NCAA says coaches can have. Yeah, well, I, look, I think that obviously you want to be safe and you want to you want to be safe to the extent that, you know, things like this, uh, you know, it's like if, if everyone's um, being careful, being safe, then you can come together and, and do things like this. I think, hey, I, I think this is a time that a lot of work uh, was lost so anything that you can do to uh, to work on your body, work on your skills, I mean, look, I mean, if you don't do it, you know there are others out there who are doing it. Um, you know, in the NFL right now, it's like the, the team facilities, a lot of them could be opening, um, but some can't, and so they're not going to open the facilities and things like that. A lot of those guys are doing work on their own. Some of them maybe a little bit too packed together in some photos we've seen, but uh, look, I mean, I, I mean, I think, you know, as long as you're being responsible, otherwise, um, 
I, I'm all, I mean, I'm for it. You, you've got to try to get some work in and these kids, you know, before all this, David, I think, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd be good at putting a time frame on it, but I think that the personal coach thing is a lot bigger now than it was some years ago, maybe not five, 10 years ago, but I would say 15 years ago, you know, you didn't have, everyone didn't have a coach. And I think now a lot more kids growing up, even, you know, apart from youth sports and AAU and all that have, have personal coaches. So they're used to sort of doing those things on their own. And um, right now, obviously those, those uh, coaches come in handy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think, um, Miles Campbell, by the way, was the tight end that, that they were throwing with who Tennessee is targeting and, and may end up uh, you know, ultimately adding to the roster eventually, the 2021 prospect. I'm torn on the private coaches. I, I really enjoyed talking to uh, to Oliver this week for, for this story. He's an interesting guy. Um, you know, I think he is, is pretty legit. Uh, I think the trend that I didn't like early on with the private coaches that we saw a lot is guys would start working with, uh, you know, pretty promising talents like sophomore year of their college career. And then, you know, these guys go on to be first-round picks, and then the guy is like, oh, I, I helped develop X. I don't really want to call anyone out by name, but they're, they're out there. And I that I took issue with, uh, where these guys are, like, almost claiming ownership and really, uh, you know, building themselves up on the backs of, of guys that were already pretty talented. Uh, but, I, you know, as these guys, you know, feel that these things, um, you know, these these guys really help them and really help develop them, you know, more power to them. And I think especially in a time like now, if you can get some intense position work, it can really be helpful. So, uh, you know, it'll be – it's it's going to be interesting to see, you know – I think coaches are really going to get a sense of who is, quote, unquote, all in whenever teams come back to campus and who shows up, you know, I forgot the whole defense, coach – who shows up in absolutely great shape, who shows up 30 pounds uh, overweight. This is going to be pretty telling, I think, and it'll tell coaches a lot about their rosters. And, you know, I think ultimately, above all else, if you're one of those guys that is, you know, spending your time working with private coaches right now, I think you got to feel pretty good um, about that guy's, that guy's commitment, I suppose. Yeah, and of course, you know, strength coaches are, I mean, they're, certainly keeping close tabs on guys right to, to make sure i mean because this is this is their time and obviously it's much more difficult uh than than non-pandemic times but i think you're you know I, I think the larger programs you're you're gonna have as much control and oversight as possible uh, but to your point, there's still there's still a lot of work that you can do or not do on your own. And to your point about coaches taking credit, I think that's fair, no question. Some people, uh, you know, overstate what what they've met. But I mean, look, I mean, John Calipari, how many how many NBA uh, players has he developed? Right? I mean, I mean, he's developed a lot of NBA players, or has he recruited a bunch of guys who were going to be NBA players, whether they played at Kentucky or at the YMCA for a year? You know, I mean, you could, I mean, you know, to a to an extent, some of the this stuff all means something, and the the biggest thing about it is always the talent and the and the work that the individual puts in. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe, 
I appreciate it. This is uh, always good to get uh, to get together. Tennessee, again, if you guys have not checked it out, check out the Tennessee State of the Program and check out the State of the Programs that we have for everyone. If you read those, you're going to leave with a very solid understanding of those teams. They're written for uh, a little bit more of a national audience. Um, and, and, man, they are really, really good. Uh, you'll get a sense of where everything is at. So don't just read Tennessee's necessarily. If you're interested, read. Uh, we'll have – I think this year we're doing more than ever. I think we have 85 on the budget uh, overall. So we do, of course, all the Power Five um, and then quite a few from the Group of Five. So check those out. Check out our work at The Athletic. Joe, you had a great story again that we talked about last week on on Derek Dooley. And uh, you and I are both churning stuff out uh, pretty consistently, even through the shutdown, just because sports are down. uh, The Athletic is still very active, and we've been able to bring some some cool stories to you guys, and and a lot more uh, coming down the pipes, I can promise you that. Any any parting thoughts for us, Joe, before we get out of here? No, but to that point, um, possibly something related to a Tennessean. I know people have mixed feelings about Steve Spurrier. Uh, coming in the future, so kind of excited uh, about that possibility. I think that'll that's be a good. little tease. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> a tease, and I think I teased uh, this as well. But uh, uh, I caught a break on a story I've been working on for over well almost a year, and I think we'll be bringing that to you guys very very soon. A bunch more things in the works. I think I'm staring at my budget right now. I think I'm working on eight different things right now so a lot coming impressive that fans will will like listen multitasking we got to do it that's how we're gonna roll <laughs> <laughs> well that'll do it for this week's episode of pfl again i'm your host david ubbin my co-host joe ricks road i write about tennessee football joe writes Cesar nashville columnist and senior writer thanks for tuning in if you like the show like listen rate subscribe all of those things uh they're all good and they all help the show so thanks again We'll see you guys around very, very soon.